Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Uh, today on the podcast, we have uh, May Bobrin. Welcome to the show, May. Thank you so much for having me. Excited, excited for our conversation today. Before we get started, I just want to acknowledge uh, that I am on, I am producing this podcast on the lands of the uh, Tulaman, Comox, and uh, uh, Homoko First Nations, uh, and uh, and the and the Klahu's First Nations. Sorry, yeah, which were actually four first, our four separate First Nations that were actually one community before um, uh, the European folk came over and. And colonize and separate separate everybody on the reserves. Um, uh, some really cool stuff is happening right now in the Tulaman First Nation. The Tulaman First Nation is right next to a, a, a city. <laughs> Canadians have such an interesting definition of cities, but a, a city called Pal River, which has like twelve thousand people. I don't know how that gets to be a city, but um, anyway, <laughs> um, um, uh, Pal River was named after a guy named uh, Israel Powell. And Israel Powell was like one of the first provincial, I don't know if I'm calling this term right, I think it was an Indian Act, agent of the Indian Act. And so the long story what the Indian Act is, but it's essentially this thing the government put into place to well, basically control First Nations people. Um, and it's still in place, which is crazy. Um, uh, but... Um, Israel Powell was one of these first agents, and he was one of these guys that actually came around and, and essentially ordered the removal of kids from homes to go into these residential schools. And we know about the residential school travesty um, um, in Canada and certainly in the U.S. as well. Um, and so anyway, uh, the Tlaman Nation is working with uh, uh, um, uh, a lot of folks in Powell River around uh, renaming Powell River to its original indigenous name. Um, which I believe is Tisquat. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's going to go to, a, I think there, there's an election, uh, sort of a municipal election happening in a couple of weeks. And I think then the vote for the name change will kind of happen after that. I think it's a great idea. I think, I think it, it needs to do, needs to be done and we need to get that name, you know, out, out of, out of the, you know, out of, out of the, out of the mouths of men and women and everyone and, and 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 start you know acknowledging kind of kind of what this place is. The sad thing about this whole thing is this discussion has brought up crazy amounts of um, of uh, you know uh, ignorant kind of racist comments about all this. You know, let's keep the name Powell. You know, that's our city. It's been mm-hmm. our name. It's been the name of the city for two hundred years. How dare you? And these and the Tlamin are like, uh, we've been here for thousands of years. You know, and and. And you took the name from us. So anyway, it's, it's, it's just been ridiculous. But I'm definitely a big supporter of the name change and, and uh, trying to push to, to get that through. So once again, just grateful to uh, Tulaman folk for allowing me to be here. Um, so May. That was uh, wonderful. Uh, Thank is, you, Ben. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks, May. I appreciate that. Um. um I brought May onto the podcast um, I, because, for a few different reasons, I think, um, I'd seen your name um, quite a bit, sort of, uh, you know, in 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 kind of events and presentations and whatnot, 
Um, uh, and it seemed to be even even more so kind of after after the George Floyd murder, um, uh, where our field, um, everyone, I don't, I'm not sure the term to describe it is. I think some some of this stuff was kind of maybe kind of performative because everyone just kind of came out of the woodwork and started, you know, um, um, you know, supporting, you know, anti-racist activities and Black Lives Matter and all these sorts of things, um, which is great. I mean, I think that, that folks are, you know, are waking up, if, for lack of a better term. I know for me, I, I personally um, discovered a lot of... Um, implicit biases that I, you know, may or may not have been aware of. Um, and, you know, let, let, let's, let's call a spade a spade. You know, I, I, I had a lot of racist attitudes, um, that, um, you know, that I just took for granted and just assumed everyone did. Um, and, uh, anyway, so kind of, you know, late May, early June, 20, 2020, um, I think was it 2020? Yeah, um, you know, middle of the pandemic, uh, um, you know, a lot of folks online, um, you know, I think a lot more folks online um, because of the pandemic and because of the restrictions, and it really opened an opportunity, I think, for different social justice movements to kind of, you know, um, um, sort of get out to people again and, and, uh, and, and, you know, attracts some more, you know, um, um, folks to kind of understand what was going on and, uh, and so on and so forth. And I saw, I saw your name quite a bit in, in a lot of the behavior analysis kind of related presentations. And I'd gone to a couple of them. Um, uh, I think it was the, the, the mentorologist series, mm-hmm. um, in there. I went to one with you and 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 uh, Pierre Lewis. Uh, is it Lewis or Louis? Lewis. Louis. He's um, like myself. His, um, his family is from from Haiti, um, but I think in the That's field right. most people are pronouncing it Pierre Lewis. But yeah, but I'm very fortunate yes. that he, to have him as a mentor. Oh, lovely. yeah. I, and I love Lou and I like Louis as the name too because I'm I'm Canadian, so mm-hmm. French is a little more kind of common in our language, and so you know, like like Linda LeBlanc. And everyone calls her Blank, Lila Blank. Yeah. Um, 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I, I often check in with my American counterparts to, to, to see how they're pronouncing words. But Pierre Louis, that's, that's I mean, Pierre is a super French yeah. name. Uh, um, and so obviously, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and you folks, you know, you, 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 you were, you know, the things you were sharing, I found were, you know, really powerful and had a real impact on me. Um, and I continued to kind of, you know, follow, you know, other, other behavior analysts from diverse backgrounds, mostly black behavior analysts. Um, um, and, uh, it, I, I spent a lot of time with, uh, uh, Dr. Nasaya. She did a, like a, a four week kind of workshop series with Scott Herbst on, on, on a lot of the stuff. And, and it was really, and it was act focused and it was really, um, you know, uh, participatory and, you know, mm-hmm. and I just, I just got a lot out of it. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, and I feel like I've kind of continued to kind of try to try to do that work and grow and learn. And as it were, uh, up until now, but it seemed like a lot of these great folks that were, that were, that were speaking like yourself and others, um, were all, you know, kind of getting a platform and then, um, 
and then it kind of seemed to, to fade a bit. Um, it kind of seemed to weaken a bit, um, which I'm not surprised at all, um, uh, because, you know, that's that's the way this world works. We, we get excited about some cause, and then, you know, we put some effort in for a month or two, and <clears throat> then we move on to something else. Um, and uh, things get pushed to the wayside again, which I know, uh, you know, certainly in terms of uh, of racism, anti-racism, you know, efforts, um, that's been sort of the story for, well, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I know for me personally, and I'm not sort of looking to, you know, uh, you know, get kudos or get you know, awards or anything. But for me personally, I, I, I thought, you know, after kind of recognizing a lot of this, these biases in myself, I thought it was really important that, um, you know, I don't stop and I don't be one of those, you know, sort of like the masses and, and just move on to something else. Cause I, I get ADHD. So it's really easy for me to move on to something else right, right. and forget about what I was talking about the day before. Um, um, and uh, anyway, um, I'm uh, stop trying to sort of pop myself up because that's not the goal um when i started doing this podcast kind of you know around around the same time um uh a lot of folks like like yourself were also going on these podcasts and doing all those sorts of things and so i couldn't i, I didn't want to i didn't want to call any of these folks to be on the podcast number one because they were all getting going on every single <laughs> podcast um you know you know I, <laughs> Um, like week after week they'd be on a podcast um, um, which is great um, but also I think you know it, it you know it, it can get a bit saturated um, hearing you know the same person as a guest on 12 different podcasts because usually talking about a similar topic uh, and so uh, you know I thought okay I'll wait a bit and, and try to find some of these folks and I was surprised to see that almost none of them were now being invited on podcasts uh, of these folks that were you know getting a lot of invitations between sort of May and August of, of 2020 there. Um, um, and, you know, I think that's, that. I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself. Actually, I had that conversation uh, with uh, 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 Melody uh, Sylvain mm-hmm. because she wrote an article specifically on that, on that sort of issue and, and how, um, you know, and I'm really digressing here, but kind of comparing, um, um, sort of um you know activities of 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 uh of uh you know sort of anti anti racist mm-hmm. kind of activities in our field you know on social media and on podcasts and i think she's some of one of the stats she found was pre sort of george floyd it was like literally like or 2019 maybe it was like zero percent of podcasts talked about those issues Post George Floyd, I was like, okay, it's going to be like you know eighty, right? And then two years later, it'll be back down to nothing. But post George Floyd, it was sixteen percent, so it didn't actually go up that much, um, you know, which was you know, a surprising number to me, just based on sort of my sort of perception of kind of what was happening. Um, um, anyway, so uh, um, uh, you know, I, I've I it, it's it's disappointing, but uh, but. So when I was looking, just kind of going, going back to all these names and typing in, okay, what podcasts have you been on recently? And they're like a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Like what? All right, well it's time to get these folks back <laughs> on the podcasts and 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 start having some conversations. Uh, and I've been finding, you know, as I interview more and more folks from sort of diff- 
you know, a variety of different sort of, you know, minority groups or oppressed groups or whatever, you know, for sure, we have some great conversations on diversity and, and cultural, you know, issues and those sort of things. And that's, I know that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, but also just, there's just a whole pool of perspectives that the world is missing out on that are, are so powerful and so awesome and so useful across every sort of, uh, you know, sort of specialty within our field. Um, and I've just been really, really enjoying the conversations. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I, I, I've been reinforced uh, by, <laughs> by, you know, the, my choice of, of guests and I'm going to keep doing it. And, and so I looked, I looked May up on LinkedIn and uh, I love that she had, you, you have this, uh, 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 people are probably going to be able to see this with my camera, but you had this kind of uh, one pager on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Bio. Um, and it's, uh, it says Mae Bolbrin, professional speaker, speaking topics. You know, I, I like this. This is like a podcast post dream, <laughs> uh, this piece of paper, because it's got everything you're looking for as far as sort of, is this going to be a good guest? And everything you have on here is like, this is going to be an awesome guest. Um, and, uh, and so I reached out and, uh, I was so happy and how quickly and eagerly you responded. Um, and so, and so here we are. So, um, once again, welcome to the podcast. Babe. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and thank you for your allyship because you, what you explained is not unique to our field. I think as behavior analysts, sometimes we like to think that some of what we experience is different because we're behavior analysts, but actually how you know the percentage were like zero percent of podcasts were having this conversation after the murder of George Floyd we would expect this huge increase and there wasn't I'm sure you know when we look at other fields it was similar you know what I mean and then I think the other thing is that um if we're looking at our um code of ethics you know the the most recent changes has language now like cultural responsiveness and and really looking at discriminatory mm -hmm. practices more and that wasn't something that was looked at um, until recently, until 2022. Um, mm -hmm. Or I shouldn't say looked at, wasn't necessarily part of our, right. our ethics code. And so in general, all of this is fairly new um, to, to the cultural considerations when we're doing our assessments and our treatment planning wasn't something that was even looking at in, in grad courses. And I think that I have a very unique vantage point as being like part of multiple marginalized communities, you know, being a woman, being black, being um, first generation of immigrants. <laughs> uh, so it, it, I think kind of looking at things like equity and inclusivity, I've, I've grown up like that way. Like it's always been. And, and Ben, I shared with you, I'll let the listeners know too, that, um, that we, me and my family spent some time in Canada um, because my, my parents mm. first emigrated to uh, Canada and then eventually to the United States. So that, again, that was, you know, Haiti, Canada, and the U.S. <laughs> Some similarities, but are, are, are different nations with different cultures. So the I remember thinking that, like, why do people have to go to school to learn about culture? And because for us, it was like, based on whose home you were going to, you were going to follow yeah. that rule. Whether, you know, are we going to see auntie in Canada? Are we going to see auntie in Massachusetts? Are we going to see auntie in Haiti? And like, how even how you like how you physically go in there? What are you bringing with you? How do you greet that individual? Um, you know, my brother and I were like small children, <laughs> and had to navigate this. 
So thinking about how for some people that was never their experience, you do have to go out of your way and actually learn and study this. And and um, mm-hmm. so th- definitely thank you for your allyship and continuing the effort because like all trends, they come and they go. And I it, it really did feel like it was just, it was the trend <laughs> at the time. It was like the hot topic. It was mm-hmm. going to get you lots of views and, 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 and shares and reposts. So yep. that was the reason to do it. But similar with, with so many other movements. Because um, yep. I think a lot of people don't realize is that the Black Lives Matter movement was happening before the murder of George Floyd. It, um, it, was, it helped to popularize it and, um, mm-hmm. and have more people understand and align the mo- with the movement. And mm-hmm. um, I think from, from my perspective, that was the saddest part that for as you're saying that like you know my name became recognizable i've been in the field before 2020 and i'm like it took like a tragedy it took a teenager recording the murder yeah. of an of an of a grown man <laughs> you know in order to like have some recognition and i think totally. you bringing that to light is is so important because like it's i as a behavior analyst i didn't get any better <laughs> i didn't get any extra certifications <laughs> i didn't you know get any extra CEUs. like my practice stayed the same, but people just recognized me. And when when yeah. we talk about things like when um, when allyship is performative, when we talk about like why we need these these conversations and cultural awareness and diversity, equity, inclusion, this is why. You know what I mean? Because had he not been murdered, like you know, I I, I hate say, making it seem like we capitalized from it, but with this level of recognition and awareness have happened if it didn't happen mm-hmm. the way that it did. And the the one thing that I always stand by is I think what what helped to bring it also to recognition is that it happened in the midst of the pandemic and there wasn't much else to do. Um, 100%. <laughs> I, I think if it was traditional time when people are kind of working and they're involved, there would have been something on their newsfeed, but um, mm-hmm. not as like there there really was nothing else to do. So you learned about it and then for so many people, they're like, "There's this. This could never happen in America." And for the other side, it was like, "This always happens in America." Right, so it was, it was um, unfortunate, but um, his death, in my opinion, wasn't in vain. You know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's, Absolutely. there's, there's conversations now, and I know that especially people who have been in the movement for a long time, they're sick of talking. But we have to start somewhere. And so many deaths were in vain, and and. And there's been deaths since. Oh then, yeah, where, where have been in vain, and there's probably deaths still happening every day that are in vain. You know, um, it. Uh, yeah, no, hundred um, percent. You know, and, I, and and I'm not a a religious guy. In fact, um, you know, my my uh, sort of relationship with this idea of God uh, really got skewed when I was a kid. Had some bad sort of church experiences mm. as a child, so. Um, you know, not not a big fan of the whole thing personally. Um, um, totally respect others, but you, you gotta wonder if, if if some higher power had something to do with you know setting up a pandemic and this thing all at the same time. Like the fact that all these sort of stars aligned for this to happen and and to have this sort of really powerful sort of outcome, you know, is is. Like, it's crazy, like, you know, the, the, sort of the, the timing of all these things um, uh, and, and, and the, the sort of possible good that's come out of it. And not just for, you know, as I said, not just for, um, 
you know, uh, black folk, but for like a, a lot of different sort of minority okay. and oppressed groups. I mean, even autistic folk, I mean, like their, their voices have really been heard a lot more sort of since then, even though that event had, you know, maybe nothing to do with them. Um, uh, um, you know, like there's been, I think social justice in and of itself has gotten a bit of a boost from, from all this, um, uh, for sure. Uh, it would be great to see some more of these books published. I mean, even they, even our field decided to pump out a bunch of books on multiculturalism and mm -hmm. social justice and mm -hmm. stuff. But will they keep coming out? That's that's a whole other question, you know. Or are they just going to sit on that 2020, 2021 bookshelf um, and, 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 and gather dust? I don't know. I hope not. But um, something you had said about... And, Usually I kind of start with an origin story. We're going to come to that. <laughs> kind of how you got in the field. Yeah, that stuff. sorry but, about that. I know um, I, I yeah. jumped the gun no, a little not bit. No, but... <laughs> please don't. No, no, no apologies necessary whatsoever. I think, I think it's really important that we, you know, touch on stuff when it comes up. But something that we're, I think we're, we'll dig into some more, even this whole cultural adaptation kind of thing and, and having that sort of cultural lens and cultural, you know, humility and all those things. It's still a really broad phrase, culture mm -hmm. and cultural, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think your, your, your point of, 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 you know, visiting an auntie in, in Canada, visiting an auntie in the States, visiting an auntie in Haiti, all within the context of just your own family. Yes. And <laughs> like yet some there's of them so were many cultural, <laughs> but there's so many cultural mm -hmm. differences, even between those, in those three contexts, mm -hmm. you know, you're all black folk. Um, you're all, you know, they all have that kind of maybe Haitian background, mm -hmm. which again adds another level of sort of complexity. Um, but it's it's just one family having three different kind of cultural contexts, and and I think a lot of what we're doing now is is you know people people are understanding the term cultural humility, cultural safety, you know those sorts of cultural competence, whatever, all all these terms. But I think they're still a big danger right now of, of, of still generalizing, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come in, you know, to a, you know, a, you know, a black family's home now that I've watched a few videos and, and, um, you know, been to a couple lectures and I'm going to assume the approach with that family is going to be the exact same with another family and another family, another family. Cause I think other thing folks don't even, don't even put together, you know, is, the vast variety of of, uh, of nations and 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 places where you know black folk have come from, you know, like Haiti is completely different than you know, say even you know than, than Africa. And then to say black folk come from Africa, that's a whole continent, you know, with a whole bunch of nations that mm -hmm. have all have different cultures, and each nation has a whole bunch of different things and microcultures, and you know, the the, the conversation can go on in that direction. And so, you know, I think we've only just opened up this box, you know, um, of sort of cultural understanding and cultural adaptation. And every time I interview someone from a different culture or even interview people from the same culture or from the same, you know, sort of ethnic background or whatever term we want to use, the stories are so different, so different, um, you know, from person to person to person. And I think that's something that's really still, You know, we're we're so far away from folks kind of putting that together. Yes, I was. I wanted to say something more optimistic and inspiring, but I'm like, no, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree, and I, I think where um, 
as a supervisor, where I have a hard time is when people are uncut, like you're working with, um, whether client and then it could, you know, anyone, the, the client you're directly serving, their family, some stakeholders, like just coworkers, colleagues, um, that like ask questions. Like if you don't know, like ask. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not uncomfortable asking, but I recognize that if when you're not from the marginalized group, when you're the dominant group, um, there's sometimes a negative connotation with asking kind of like, why don't you do it my way? My way is the right way. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, I'm trying to embed that in my practice. Like, how can I support, you know, the my supervisees who are from the dominant group um, just to ask? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I, I, I worked with, or I knew somebody who was Seventh-day Adventist and I knew that their kind of mm. holy day was on a Saturday. I met a family yep. and um, that was mentioned. You know what I mean? That, that they were Seventh-day Adventist. And so all I asked was like, what, as we're making the schedule, I was like, is there a day of the week that you would prefer um, that session not happen? You know what I mean? And I was like, whether that's evening or during the day. So like my, I had a hunch that it was going to be Friday into Saturday, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't put that on them. Like I didn't, I think the difference is I didn't make the schedule for them. I just said, mm-hmm. I like, I, I heard you, I heard you say that religion is important to your family. And I, I'm on your team, you know, we're not, we're not on opposing teams. Like what can, you know, moving forward so that there's no issues, like how can we make the schedule work for you and your family? Um, And that was kind of intuitive to me, but I know for a lot of people, it's like, if I bring it up, are they going to, you know, is is it going to be awkward and uncomfortable? Um, So that's something in my professional development that I need to work on. Cause to me, that was like, well, you got to know the schedule. (laughs) How are you going to get your team out there? Um, but I, it's not coming from a lens of what you're doing is, is wrong. My way is better. And, and, mm-hmm. um, kind of that comes from, you know, that's also from their perspective, like check your privilege. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't yeah. have to come off as condescending yeah. when you just want some yeah. more information about something. So that you know, there's a couple of like, um, open-ended questions and, and exercises that I have for them where like, if you make conversations mm-hmm. or regular part, you know, asking simple questions like, you know, what's your what's your favorite like uh, during this holiday? What's the the meal that your family enjoys the most? And uh, like you said, don't take that. And now every family from that background assume that that's it. That's right. <laughs> but just know to ask that kind of question. How do you set like, oh, this yeah. is a holiday coming up. How do you celebrate? And coming yeah. from the lens up, if this is especially in a home program where you're now going to teach the client how to participate is there is there a chant or a song or a dance or you know a phrase of how you say happy or joyous mm-hmm. or the case um, they could participate now and again now you're a team member and not kind of imposing your Eurocentric culture <laughs> on this other family. I love that there and and I love what I, what I really love what one thing you said and I think this is what needs to really change you know in our work is it's just we just got to ask a lot more questions now we just have to be way more curious because before it used to be just the assumption like i should like i i you know i don't have kids um i don't really work with kids but um you know i you know i can spend 20 minutes with them when they're when they're being cute and <laughs> not annoying um and uh and and you know, my go-to in the past might have been just to start singing Itsy Bitsy Spider or, or you know, Baba Black Sheep or whatever, you know, or whatever song there is. Um, but that's, that's my bias talking. 
my bias is saying every kid in the planet knows Itsy Bitsy mm-hmm. Spider and wants to hear it, you know, and wants and and will sing along with the, to that song with me. So, you know, I'm not going to come into a, a home and go, you know, um, uh, ask a really specific uh, assuming kind of question, but I can go, you know, what, you know. What kinds of songs does he like to sing? Does he like to sing? Yeah. What kinds of songs does he like to sing? And 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 I can ask that question of anybody from any culture, of any background, mm-hmm. um, and keep digging some more. And I think that I think our assessments are are a big part of our problem. Oh, now. absolutely. The, 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 you know, on a lot of levels. I mean, uh, certainly, you know, we, we know that a lot of them, like especially our assessments and the and, and not just the assessments, but the corresponding sort of pre-developed curricula. Uh, are, are, are a huge problem because they're so Eurocentric, mm-hmm. you know, the question, you know, the activities are, the, the, the interactions are, the, the criteria know, the, are as well. The criteria are, the materials are, everything about them are super Eurocentric. Um, and we're like, well, we're all in the U.S., we're all in North America, don't we all, you know, <laughs> don't we all think the same way? So yeah, no, it's 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 it, and I think that I think people make it start to make it really complex. Like, well, what questions do I ask? Or I don't know much about you know, um, you know, um, uh, um, Latinx history. Mm-hmm. How, how how am I going to be able to be helpful here? You know, we'll ask questions, ask questions. You know, um, and and don't make assumptions. And, and that's you know, it's it, it's it's actually relatively simple. Yes how to get this yep. information. <laughs> it's, and it all, it all boils down to behavior analysis. I, a, a quick story I want to share. I think I, I shared yeah. it with what you once before. So um, mm. I, I consult to a lot of schools and there's a preschool student and they're so convinced that like they're concerned um, that they don't know if it's like non-compliance, like is he having a hearing issue? Like he's having trouble following directions. I go and yeah. I observe the class and what I realize is, is that... Um, so if it's like to get your lunchbox, get your snack, like kind of all those access materials, he goes right next to it, <laughs> but he doesn't yep. actually like take it. You know what I mean? And he does that mm-hmm. look back at the teacher like I could just like I could just take it. And then so I, I was like, you know, again, like you said, this is a conversation with the family. Um, and because in some homes they have like the lower shelf pantry is where all the stuff for the kids are so that they can easily access it. I said, that wasn't my experience growing up. Like the juice boxes and all that stuff was actually on the highest so that you need Mm -hmm. permission to get these. Like this isn't, you can't just come in and grab and take, like you have to ask somebody and then they will say yes or no and give it to you. And then, so the fact that like he, he would like, you know, the little go get your work bin, everybody, he's right next to his work bin. You know what I mean? So it's not non-compliance. He did not understand the question, but he just didn't like do the last step of physically taking it. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, I think this is just a a cultural difference. Like, I was like, I'm not sure, you know, if he's, especially if he's been at home, this is his first time in a school setting. He's not, he, maybe he's not allowed to just go and grab his own things. Like I, I know for a lot of families, like, once kids start managing their clothes and their toys and the food, it makes a bigger mess. Yep. <laughs> it's like, I yep. will put your shoes away. <laughs> I will bring your stuff to the sink. Um, and I'm like, it's, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just what his experience is. So before A, we mm-hmm. penalize him or B, we teach him, find out from the family yep. if this is a priority, because then we're just going to be sending him two different messages. 
Um, so yeah. I, I love when I uncover those kind of a things because it makes me feel like this is behavior analysis. You know what I mean? Like to really go in and understand and not just assume like he's not compliant. Let's just do forced compliance <laughs> and, and, and totally. call it a day. So I think that dovetails nicely into the, the neurodiversity that we were talking about before, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that point. And, and I think, you know, I think it's not we need to do, you know, culturally appropriate or culturally responsive behavior analysis. We need to do behavior analysis and behavior analysis must be culturally mm-hmm. responsive uh, to, in order in order to really be thorough and really and really and really kind of, you know, find out why those things are happening. Instead, what behavior analysis is and not just behavior, every, a lot of fields are they're they're Eurocentric and and therefore assumptions are made, societal expectations are assumed, um, and and we just skip that stuff. Oh no, they're non-compliant. No, they're you know they need to learn how to you know, you know sit that way. Or I, I, there I, there was an example I, I've heard a few times of um, of uh, of uh, a kid, or not a kid, but a, you know. A, a, a BCPA, you know, going into a home and, 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 and seeing that the kid's eating with his fingers. Um, um, and you know, okay, we got it. Well, we got to hammer in, we got to hammer in knife and fork behavior here. We got to get that going because that's, that's the way people eat here or everywhere, you know, uh, where there's, you know, many cultures that, you know, don't use utensils, mm-hmm. um, 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 and, or, 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 you know, have sort of, Every, every routine that humans engage in can vary. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I think, yeah, I think I, I love the idea that it's, that, that it's, uh, it's just, it's just better behavior analysts analysis. Yes. You know? Yes. You know? Cause yeah. that, that yeah. scenario that you paint again with people who are supervised, a big complaint, parents do not adhere to treatment. And then so I, I think about it and I'm like, well, you're, you're the one with the fork and knife idea. Like that was nobody else's idea. So that only comes out every week or every other week <laughs> when you're yeah. there. If you pick a goal yeah. <laughs> that the family also wants to work on, now we're embedding multiple yeah. practice opportunities um, yeah. because it's something that they also value. And so that every time yeah. there's an opportunity for it, whether it's a self-help skill or, or, or another ADL or whatever the case is, they get to practice it. And it truly becomes a real goal because now you come to monitor it. So like, you know, there's a modification needed or are we ready to go to the next step? Like that, that's what it should be mm-hmm. when you're working with the BCBA like that, that every other week or every week when you go there, you're either making a mod or there's some kind of like an update that's coming. Um, but because it's what happens is like you show up and then now you're the SD for, oh yeah, I got to get the fork out for them. So now because maybe they eat with chopsticks or they eat, you know, lots of dipping sauces and breads, they got to find the fork. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they go rinse it and then they give it to you. Like, Hey, you, you like it so much here. You work on it. And then now it's like, oh, this parent's terrible. They don't even care. And, um, and then I'm like, no, like you're the one who doesn't care. You didn't clearly, you didn't listen during the intake as to what is actually important because there's, um, I remember, um, pandemic, you know, we're doing a lot of, uh, telehealth and with one of, with one of my families, it was important that their son continue to have access to the community. 
Um, so they taught them how to wear a mask. And I always tell them, like, we can't take credit. Like, we were on a screen <laughs> many miles away. But um, yeah. but it was something that was important to them. And we, we, uh, we set up kind of like um, scenarios of what it would look like and teaching them how to put it on, how to take it off. And, mm-hmm. and, and they did it. But that was, a pri- like, obviously, I wanted him to have access to the community. But back then, I wasn't the one taking him anyway. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, but exactly. I heard that it was a goal for them. So we, we, we developed the procedure and it worked. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if there are, you know, because we often see, you know, particularly our sort of our, our autistic clients um, engaging in behavior that we don't understand. Um, uh, and and it, that seems strange even to, to the family. He just kind of started doing this all of a sudden, you know, and I don't know why. You know, and it makes me wonder if, you know, the kid in the home where they don't use a knife and fork is now has now stopped eating because he's been he's been taught by 13 other professionals outside of the home that you got to use a knife and fork. And now he's just freaked out, you know, and now he sees, you know, the mailman walking by who's got the same logo on his shirt as, mm-hmm. you know, the, the social worker that came in or the police officer, whoever came in. And and it's now going, uh oh, logo SD for gotta go find a fork. Uh oh. <laughs> My parents don't own forks. Uh oh. I'm gonna refuse to eat, you know. It and it just changes it just creates this whole sort of chain of uh, uh of problems that you're you know, that that you're never going to be able to assess or figure out because it's been shaped by people outside of the home mm-hmm. that had these sort of culturally inappropriate kind of expectations of them. Before we keep going on to that, um because that's and we're talking about some really good ideas around kind of you know how to you know be more culturally responsive. But one of the things that we we talked about we wanted to get into today was about you know why we need to be culturally responsive and and kind of what those issues are. So we're gonna get it. We're we're because um, we're gonna be talking about because um, um, it you know one maze one cheater. Uh, <laughs> she talks about addressing racial bias in education, and so that's going to be a big area we're going to kind of talk talk about today, um, and then talk about you know some ways maybe that we can address it. Uh, we've already kind of given a bit of a teaser on some some of the things you might be able to do there. Um, uh, but before we do that, may to be just kind of like like I like always do with folks is I'm curious sort of how you got into sort of the ABA field, um, and and what made you kind of go more so towards like um to, to kind of have that if, interest in sort of school settings in particular i uh yeah I'd, I'd love to answer this question so like most behavior analysts it was an accident <laughs> yeah. i um i actually registered for um the wrong f- section of field work so i got my undergrad at Rutgers university and um it was I enjoyed my experience, but like I kind of was was all over the place, you know, with with starting school. So I think the my dream school was very expensive, you know what I mean. So then I narrowed mm-hmm. it down to only schools that I had a scholarship in. And of course, my top two were the two that didn't offer, <laughs> and the other schools mm-hmm. did offer. You know what I mean? Um, so I started. I did one year at Seton Hall, and I loved it. Um, but again, I and my parents were helping me to pay for my education, and I just I just felt bad because yeah. I knew that I, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was a grown up, <laughs> but I, I knew that I was going to pursue higher education. And I was like, you know what? Like it's, mm. if, if 
I'm not even ending at a bachelor's. Like, let me do it for like as cost effective as possible right now. You know, so I, mm-hmm. I, I lived in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey. And so I was able to easily commute from, from Rutgers. It was in-state tuition, all that good stuff. But with the, with the um, transfer, it kind of set me back a little bit. Cause you know, like the credits don't always line up exactly. Mm-hmm. And a stipulation that my, my family had was we will help pay um, for, for the, you know, the four years, anything after that is on you. You know what I mean? So I was, I was prepared to pay for my graduate school, but not for like these extra random undergrad credits. So I was like, you know what? I can do this in four years. So I, um, the, the, the section of field work that I thought I registered for, um, the timing didn't work out. Like I was double booked in a class and I needed this one Mm. more in order to, um, have graduate with the bachelor's in, in psych. Um, right. So I, I get there and it's actually pretty cool because it was doing just some coding. Rutgers operates a school for individuals with autism and they have adult program right. and they have a school-based program as well. So it was just really helping do some coding. So um, it was like a lot of just like watching videos and doing like the IOA data. So whenever you, you're reading an article and it has like the, the second coder and the, the undergraduate assistant, yeah. that was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while I was in that office, um, you know, there was just like, it was myself and one other person and two able-bodied people. Whenever they needed stuff, they would just send us, you know, cause there was the, we just needed to get all the coding done by the end of the semester. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got to help. Um, they were doing some fluency-based instruction with the adults in the adult program. So they would need some IOA data for that. So they would send us down there to help them record. And then they were uh, building a developmental play assessment at the time that looked at specific categories of play. And so hmm. either in person or in a video, you know, we're just watching it, coding it. And at the end of the semester, somebody who worked there was like... Um, there's a job that like pays all that pays really good money. Like you should apply. She was talking about the outreach program. So doing kind of like ABA, like in the home. And this is, mm. I'm going to age myself a little bit. This is before the RBT cert. <laughs> so um, kind of having, um, this was back when parents like on their own, <laughs> were just like looking for therapists and calling insurance companies. And it wasn't as structured as it is now. And then, so right. um, I, I applied, I got the job. And I'm, I just have one or two clients and the, the client who I was working with, um, the, the supervisor at the time was a, was a classroom teacher also at Rutgers. And she said mm. she needs an aide in her classroom starting in the fall. Um, so fast forward, I, I love working with her. She's still one of my mentors. Um, so now like I'm now an aide in her class. I, um, my first day in the building, there is a lovely woman, you know, seated at the, like the receptionist desk and is telling me that like, you should take, um, you know, that Rutgers basically offers these courses. You should go. I just finished my bachelor's degree. I'm like, I, I want like a little, I want a breather, um, you know, mm-hmm. before I, and I want to take a year to really sample different jobs to see what is it that I wanted to do. Um, so now she's telling me that Rutgers offers what I didn't know it at the time, but it was like the BCBA courses once every, like the mm. cohort was once every other year. Um, they're starting it the following year. Can I put your name on the list? In my head, I'm like, I'm not going to even be here that long. <laughs> this is my first full-time job, you know, after, after, right, um, of after I graduate. So I'm like, sure, put my name on the list. No big deal. Wow. 
Um, so then Rutgers changes it and they're offering the course every year. I'm an employee. Therefore, she has my name, my phone number. She <laughs> registers me for the course because oh my gosh. it's free because I work at Rutgers. So I get tuition oh. remission. So like they, she didn't need any money from me. <laughs> and like I, you have to pay for like fees or whatever. They just take it out of your yep. check. <laughs> so now like I don't know how to tell her, please unenroll me. <laughs> so then I end up taking the coursework and, you know, whatever classes later, like I got my BCBA and I ended up, I stayed at, at, at Rutgers. I was, uh, um, when my, when the teacher moved up, I took her job. Um, so I was the classroom teacher and I just kind of kept learning and growing in the field. And I just, I, I really, I love behavior analysis. Like it just, it made so much sense to me and all of it, like the OBM piece, like it just, all this just makes sense. Like it, it wasn't, I'm not saying it's easy, but I, I I I thought I was going to go to law school. <laughs> you know, I, mm. I, I thought I was going to be doing some like um, interior design with like the measurement and space and scales. Like I, you know, I was interested in a lot of things, but that I found mm. it really hard. Like it wasn't very intuitive for me. Behavior analysis was so intuitive. And then, so since then, I, um, I wanted to broaden my practice because the classroom I was working in, it was, um, they just all happened to be little boys, you know, so, so they were all boys and it was an elementary class. So they were all between the ages of six right. and eight. So I was like, you know, my experience is, is super narrow right now. And if I'm really going to be a behavior analyst forever, I have to be able, what happens when these boys turn nine? <laughs> what do I do with that information? So I remember at the time I, um, I was, I was still in the coursework for my BCBA and there was a, a young woman who was coming, um, back from she was at Kennedy Krieger and she was transitioning back to to stay at home and at the time me and her were maybe like two years apart so she's a peer you know what I mean and and so all of the clients I worked with at that time are really young children and so mm. one of my supervisors was like we want you to do the parent training piece so that they could run the plan that Kennedy Krieger wrote and in my head I'm like good for you for believing in me. <laughs> but I'm like, there's no way. Like in my head, I'm like, I, I don't have the capacity to do this. But that yeah. was the day that I made a decision. I'm like, I'm either going to do this a little bit or I'm going to do it all the way. If I understand behavior analysis, there's no reason why I can't do this. Um, and it was such a, it was a wonderful experience. You know what I mean? And she, you know, they wrote a, a great transition plan. So that also helped. But but that, that was the day that I started to challenge myself. And like I said, yes to so much. Um, and I got to work in, in hospitals and in clinic settings and, and public schools and private schools. And I just, I just kept learning. Like, and even now, like I never, I never want to pause. Like I just want to continue to grow in my practice because mm. I love it. That's wild. <laughs> that's, that's the most wild. Really? <laughs> intro to ABA story that I have ever heard. And I've heard some interesting ones. I've heard some, a lot of them have been the same, you know, we'll tell that story. Some of them have been a little, a little funky, but you know, again, going back to this higher power comment, I made serendipity, earlier, like, right? I mean, talk about like, like the fact that this, this woman just signed you up for a BCBA program without telling you. Um, and, and in is, her defense, is, I told her I would do it the following because it was this is like late, this is like, let's say, sure. you know, how they have like orientation back to school stuff in August. This was in August, yeah. And so she's telling me that she's going to do it for next August. 
And like, you, you know, I just finished school. I'm like, in 12 months, if I'm here, we'll see, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, But yeah. yeah, but she really, like, she um, she took me under her wing. Like, I, I think in my head, I must have reminded her of, like, one of her nieces or something, because she really, yeah. she looked out for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just the opportunities that you've had, and, and it's awesome that you just, you know, snatched snatch them right away. Um, that's not a very common story, you know, for, for anyone. I have to. So if if, uh, if my mom was here, she would say, so my mother is very religious. <laughs> mm. And, you know, and she'll say that God's timing is perfect. God is never wrong. So because <laughs> so, even for her, I think she was looking for something more recognizable. My daughter's going to be an accountant. My daughter's going to be an engineer, yeah. you know, even now, like, um, I just tell people like, I, you know, I work with kids. Like, I, I don't know how else to, yeah. to, 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 to explain it. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, but now she's proudly, she's proud to say that my daughter's a behavior analyst. <laughs> no doubt. Well, let, let, let's, let's take just a minute and you can move your head to the left and we'll give, oh. your, give a quick shout out to your mom <laughs> as well here. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. I saw this, this picture of the heart behind May and I was like, what's going on there? A new heart, new life. Is that a movie or something? Uh, it could be one I day. I know. But, I'm, uh, I'm hoping Netflix uh, gets know, wind of it. <laughs> it, it, it it's, it's, it's a book. Her, your mom wrote, um, you know, uh, you know, on, uh, again, on, on your nudging, um, um, to, uh, to tell the story of how she got a heart transplant. Like, I mean, she has every, every right and reason to, 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 to be a, to be a spiritual woman mm-hmm. and believe in God mm-hmm. because she's cer- certainly had, um, you know, um, you know, all, all the right things kind of happening for her here, and 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 now and now this this may be turning into an audio book. So new heart, new life, in the show notes. Oh, look um, at you with this plug! Thank you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I love got that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, super cool. And just you know, yeah, just to have your mom being so so proud of you is super awesome. So what? Um, what do you do right now? What's, what, what's your role these days? If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is sensitive. I think my, my title is... Um... Director of Diversity and Training. I've always been very mm. interested in staff training. Um, like yeah. I almost, it's, I made this like, it's almost like an ABLES for staff. So it's just on a like Excel spreadsheet and each tab is like um, a competency area. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I did it for RBTs and for VCBAs. It's just sitting there. Like I, at some mm. point, like I have to develop a symposia and, and, and bring it to somewhere. Um, totally. But like, I've, I've just always really been interested in training. Cause I'm like, if, if we do such a good job, um, mm. when, you know, we're, we're working with individuals, some of them who have no or limited language, some of them who engage in really high intensity, high frequency behavior, and we're able to make these significant changes, we can get a staff member to show up on time. <laughs> like you know if we can change severe behavior <laughs> yep. you know we, we could do this as well um so like i, I just i i like staff training you know what i mean so i wanted yeah, that yeah, to be a component yeah, yeah. of it and i think 
um, at, you know, post the murder of George Floyd, you know, many organizations were looking at what efforts are we doing in diversity, equity, inclusion. And this is something sure. that I've always been talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Even like when I was in high school, like I didn't have the language for it, but I remember I joined so many cultural clubs because I'm like, it's not about one culture. It's about multiculturalism, you know? And I, I mm. was in like at least six different, like, you know what I mean? The African-American club, the Spanish speaking yep. club, yep. like <laughs> yep. um, just because just I was interested in it. And I, um, sure. day to day, like I operate like a behavior analyst, but I think that I'm also the resident, like all DEI, you know, I, I recently got my diversity, equity, inclusion certificate. Um, mm. just the, like the course, like I just took courses online, um, and, and, and was able to, to, to get that cert. It's, you know, the, the, the questions and the videos and the webinars and the exercises and mm. the, um, they give you like mock companies. <laughs> Cause again, given this role, I'm like, I don't want just that, like, I want to be able, like, if I left this field, if I went to like restaurant, hospitality, hotel management, like I would be, I would want to be able to take a job as their, you know, diversity and equity, you know, staff member. So I I took, I took it seriously. You know what I mean? So like day to day, like it looks like just, you know, I'm behavior analyst. I consult the schools and I supervise a few home programs. But if you look at like the trainings that I do within my company and outside the organization and also the the supports that I offer. So um, my agency does lots of like, um, we have a presence on social media. So like different YouTube videos and the talks that I'm doing there. And also we have Mm. what's called the clinical review process. It's internal, but it's kind of like if there's a tough case, like um, let's all like just kind of sit and have a powwow about it. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times I'm brought in when the culture of the staff is different than that of the family. Um, to like, because mm-hmm. like, some I know that for, for example, there was a learner where lots of problem behavior was happening around self help skills, in particular mm-hmm. bathing. You know what I mean? So they kind of brought me in to 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 think about like, all right, so like, what's the family's expectation? What's our expectation? You know what I mean? What can the learner do and not do? Let's all talk about yep. this together about where we are now, where we want to go as a team, not just one person, and then what direction can we take to go there? Because we, you know, we can't be. Mm. you know, in the, in the bath and there's water and problem behavior, like it's, right. it's messy. Um, other things too, with like, um, adoptive families and like where the, the hair texture of the child is very different and not understanding how to, you know, how to manage it. And, you know, like they, they'll, mm. they'll bring me in for, for those components and not necessarily because my culture matches that of either the clinician or the family, but just cause I, I can take that opportunity to look to see kind of what some barriers to to um, to treatment are, whether that's treatment adherence yeah. or the actual treatment development. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a, probably right now the most valuable piece that I have to offer. As I sit here with, um, like I have, I printed out these coloring sheets, and um, they're just like they're multicultural. Like it's fall, but you know yeah. the the little boy and the little girl are drawn with like just right. like more ethnic features, you know what I mean? So it's it's something that we don't always think about, but like sometimes that's feedback that I give. Like I remember when, um, when the kids had to come back to school with their masks on and us behavior analysts were scrambling. We're like the same kid who doesn't like a tag on their shirt. (laughs) How are we going to do this? And like, 
it, it, it was, it was so much, it was easy, but we all had them on. So I think about like when we have that learner, mm. let's say we're practicing to wear glasses, none of their visual cues have glasses. None of the emojis have glasses, all of, you, you know, yep. the little rules in the classroom with like cross your feet, you know, hands to your lap. Like there's no representation of somebody with glasses. So when you go to put them mm-hmm. on their face, you're like, no, this, I don't know what these are, but they don't belong here. Yep. <laughs> this does not make sense. No. Yeah. So like just something as little as getting a visual cue, you know, just of and or a book. <laughs> and that character mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. has glasses on just to normalize them. But I think the reason why, um, you know, I, I, I guess, or I, I, and most of my colleagues didn't either struggle is because it was everybody was already doing it. To the point, I yeah. remember as mandates started to change, I walked into the home with a mask on of a new family. And when the, the parent saw that I had one on for my comfort level, she put hers on. The child looked at both of us with our mask on and now is tantruming because she wants to wear one too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the actual, the absolute opposite of what every other family experiences. Tantrum because we're trying to make him put the mask right? on. Right, yeah. Like, but like, give me my mask. But it was like, why, why am I left out? Like, she has one on, you yep. have one on. Like, where's mine? Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I was curious about, uh, just us on a slight side, this this certificate you did. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Like, I, I, I know there's lots of different things out there, but I, you know, this is actually, I'm, I mean, listen, folks listening might be interested too, but this is just for my own personal interest. I've kind of thought about going that direction myself. So, uh. Uh, No problem. Um, so I did it through uh, eCornell. Um, Okay. And uh, the 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 name definitely sounds like oh Cornell, but it's it's their um mm-hmm. it's their like online education program. So there's some officially right. affiliation with the school, but like I didn't have to apply to Cornell or right. get in or anything. You know what I mean? Um, there was four different courses: so adaptive, inclusive hiring practices, building diverse talent pools, counteracting unconscious bias, and promoting inclusion, onboarding, and employee success. I think what I like most about it, they gave you lots of resources. Um, So like they have this checklist from like, um, from your recruitment, your, um, how you're posting, your, your hiring ads through like um, conducting interviews and checklists for that and questions to avoid, questions to ask. Your onboarding, Mm. you know, how to make people feel welcome. And then also like the checkpoints after hire. So I like mm. that there was like a timeline so that um, as an organization, maybe you want help across the board <laughs> from yeah. the first from the first time an employee sees your ad and might even think about applying to your current employee. How do you make sure that you're um, you're embedding diversity, equity, inclusion into the culture of your organization and then everything in between? Mm. Um, but like I, I liked how many resources that they offered. And then the other thing That's I awesome. liked is that um, the way they did assessments, it was every course, there was like a big, long project where they would give you like a, a prototype company. You know what I mean? So this is mm. like a, um, a, manu- a healthcare manufacturer where they make sure. like gloves and masks and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So this is what they produce. This is their current um, employee demographics. This is what they're trying to go to. You know what I mean? They've now hired you <laughs> as a DEI expert, develop a plan for them. Um, and then so like cool. every every like assignment is just a component of that project. And at the end of the course, you hand it like it's as if you're giving them the whole treatment plan. So 
I like because mm. I felt like a behavior analyst because I'm like, oh, this is like an FBA. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, we just did an FBA. 100%. But um, but it was cool because the first thing you point out is kind of like what the errors are, you know what I mean? So kind of what the, the you identify, like, again, I, I did it. It's not behavior analytic. I just, the way I think of it in my head, kind of like what, no, what behaviors yeah. are you targeting for decrease? <laughs> yeah. Then you're going to select what behaviors you're targeting for increase. <laughs> and then you got your antecedent strategies and then um, your consequence-based strategies, you know, like what the, 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 the reinforcement system is going to be and then your measurement for change. Um, so like, like I said, I'm, I'm making anyone who does this, like it's not that behavior analytic, <laughs> but just the way that my brain conceptualized it was that way but for each of the four yeah. courses i i like that that was the project that and that you had to keep going back to the little blurb about the company to get the information synthesize the information and then make your determination for how you're gonna plan and it was different like some of them were um it was an industry um the the company like had 90 percent let's say males in leadership and they're looking to, right. to 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 have less of a disproportionality there you know, another sure. one was there was an underrepresentation for marginalized communities. You know what I mean? So, and then kind mm-hmm. of what would you what would you do about it? So, yeah, I, I just finished it yeah. in the summer. Like, be, like I said, because I consult to schools, I'm um, there's just my hours are are less in the summer. So I thought that, and which was yep. which did work out because I had more time like in the afternoons to dedicate to uh, to finishing up those um those courses. Well, you sound like you're set up to kind of. Maybe maybe create your own program oh. that is behavior analytic <laughs> and get some CEUs out of this too. So yeah, I mean, that's that's you know, hopefully. Um there I only saw one presentation on ABA and 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 diversity, equity, inclusion. And it was good, but what they what I yeah. like that they how they set it up was kind of what the key point indicators are for behavior analytic organization. And I'm yep. I'm thinking this is all internal right now. Is um I, I do yep. want to present something um to my um management department, you know what I mean, and and, yep. and get their feedback on it. So um totally. I'm I'm ho- I like what I, ideally it's something that I can kind of pilot within the organization and then yeah. um you know bring it to to a symposium or something like that to kind of disseminate it or even a poster or something like that to to work on that dissemination. Oh no, that and that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's how a lot of these programs are formed: is folks create them internally, test them out, see if they work, and get a good vibe. Okay, let's start sharing it with the world. So that's awesome. Yeah, because I think you oh, mentioned. Oh, go ahead. No, no go I ahead. was going to say I think our field. That's why we're intimidated. Is that like it's like we know that there, or if if you care about this, you know there are a need for a change. But the way that I synthesized it, I think a behavior analyst would be like, "Oh, this I can do." You know what I mean? But if you're just thinking about, um, you know, that you want to, let's say, serve more diverse client base, you know, like, how do we even start? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I think mm-hmm. because we're so used to our criteria of like, you know, 80 over three, 90 over two, <laughs> you know, we want to see a 90% decrease in this amount of time. Like we want to see right, these big right. changes, but uh, honestly, we have to look at the demographics of our immediate community. And that's actually yep. the criteria. Um, yes. So first, and obviously we, we, we could do better than, <laughs> than, 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 than what's uh, the, the mean, but that's like mm-hmm. probably the first benchmark is like, does it even look like um, it does in like the general population? Totally. Oh, that makes great sense. You mentioned, you used a term, which is I think a good segue into kind of what we were talking about 
when it set up our pre-chat, um, and that was uh, disproportionality, um, uh, which uh, I know you you have a lot of thoughts on, particularly you know in in school mm-hmm. settings. I've seen I've seen a few articles more recently and uh, kind of discussing this. Like I think I, there was one. Uh, the, the, came out not that long ago talking about there's a couple that came out not that long ago talking about sort of um, um, teachers not disciplining it but teachers just you know acknowledging students in the classroom so you know uh, just sort of you know uh, uh, Billy what do you have to say or Joey good job or whatever and how Many teachers don't even realize that, mm-hmm. for the most part, it's 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 the white kids that they're that mm-hmm. they're giving this attention to, um, um, and 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 then there was you know some 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 sort of strategies on what to do. The strategies are you know super simple. Stop doing that. Start doing this. <laughs> you know, um, start acknowledging them. Um, um, you know, or um, uh, you know, and I think one person was talking and talking about sort of you know. Was it actually it was just an interview I just did recently, and and, and I forget what it was that they were talking. She was talking. About, I'm sure it was a she because I haven't interviewed a guy in so long. Um, <laughs> she um, uh, was talking about basically just you know going into that classroom, and they just started taking the data and just started counting how many times they called on this person versus calling on this person, and they showed it to the teacher, and the teacher's like, "Whoa, I had no yeah. idea." Yeah. Um, sometimes, um, so there's 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 a lot of disproportionality in in education. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about that. So, so what what does disproportionality mean, first of all, and then and then how does it kind of present in the education system? And I know it probably presents in a lot of different ways. So you don't yeah, I'll I'll just way, give you some you kind of a key example. Yeah. So it's when yeah. there is a um, a group, so racial group, ethnic group, um, you know that is represented either at a lower or a higher percentage than the general population. So the easiest example I like to give, because, you know, we're going to get the naysayers who are going to say there is no such thing, is that in Mm. in the States, roughly 50% of the population identify as male, roughly 50% identify as female. And I'm saying roughly because I want to, it might be like 51, 49, 52, 48, but like roughly half and half. But- A hundred percent of U.S. presidents have identified as male. That is a disproportionality Mm. because if it was proportionate, then roughly 50 percent of U.S. presidents, you know, would have been male Mm -hmm. and the other 50 percent would have been female. So, like, that's a common example I like to give because, like, people can't argue that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, In schools, um, disproportionality is in school discipline. So, looking at who's receiving suspensions, who's receiving detentions, who's getting expelled. Mm. And so the Mm. proportionate rate that we're looking at is enrollment, like just who goes to the school. And so that's kind Mm. of like the the measure, you know what I mean? So the 50-50 I gave for um, gender, um, how people identify in genders. And I'm not minimizing, um, and this is not a conversation about genders, but like, I guess, um, presenting male, presenting female, you know? Um, I get it. But looking at enrollment, for example, so what percentage is white, what percentage is um, Hispanic or or Latin, Black, African-American, you know, indigenous, Asian, 
um, you know, a, a combination of, of these, you know, so sure. that, that, that number just is whatever it is, you know, yeah. but then yeah. if there was an additional personality, so I'm just going to say a number, let's say that 20% of the school's population was black. We would right. assume, you know, that 20% of, of that, when we look at all of school suspensions, that 20% right. of school suspensions were of black students because it's just, it's proportionate to those who were enrolled. That's not the case. That um, that the, yeah. the, the rate of school discipline is much lower for white kids, much higher for, um, for, mm. for our black and our, our Hispanic students. Um, mm. The same thing for access to, um, to the specialized programs, your gifted and talented programs, the disproportionality that exists there as well. And then also in representation of disability. So there's an mm. overrepresentation of um, of individuals who are um, indigenous people who have a um, like a, a speech or a language impairment. And I'm always thinking like, sure. I I don't know if English is their first language. <laughs> you know, like is it truly a um, an, a speech impediment? And for mm -hmm. um, black students there's an over-representation of emotional disability. And given your example, mm. if they always have their hand raised and they're waiting and they have the answer, they're never getting called on, they're never getting called on, they're never getting called on. Damn, you know what I mean? And now like there's this outburst, oh, emotional, <laughs> emotional regulation impairment, you know? Um, and, and stereotypes also fall into that, you know what I mean? The trope of like yeah. the angry black woman or, you know, like if, if you expect it, uh, you know, then, then you're going to look for every instance, you know, like yeah. if you, um, if, if you expect somebody to be late, if you expect somebody to be clumsy, you're going to wait for them to bump one thing. It's like, I told you they were a klutz. It's like, okay, like <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Let's take some data to see that. Um, so that, yeah. that's just like the most common ways that we see it at, uh, at schools. The concern, um, there's, a couple of concerns. One mm. is that we used to actually have this data um, that was just, you know, the Office of Civil Rights used to just have it be public by state. Um, mm. The like the 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 composition of just like the the population of like school age children, and then looking yep. at um, you know in, ter in terms of their demographics, the um, su suspensions and also um, expulsions. So you can kind of see year to year to year disproportionality and like, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Those mm. kind of things. Unfortunately, and th this is, um, you know, because I live in the U.S., I'm speaking, you know, specifically about what's happening um, here. Um, we had a sure. change in our administration <laughs> and yes. um, the, the secretary of education, Betsy DeVos, changed that so that um, if you're ever, they're no longer like collecting or getting like this kind of like proof. Um, by measuring the data this way, and it's not public. Like I, this was something when I when I would do this talk, depending on where I was, I would pull up that state's data, and now I have to apologize yep. and be like, we have to look at data that's like three or four years old now. Um, so mm -hmm. what they're saying is, you can no longer um, um, you have to like make individual allegations as opposed to like a systemic or a class action approach. So like you have to have one teacher 
who looks at that student and says, hey, I'm not going to call on you because you're black. And so now you could be like, hey, teacher, don't say that. But in the situation that you were saying, where like, I'm the behavior analyst, I'm taking data, I'm looking to see who's getting rewarded, who's who's getting five minutes off of recess. And I'm like, oh, there's there's something systemic here. That's not something that you can bring to the Office of Civil Rights. They're they're no longer kind of measuring that data. I mean, depending on your state, you know, there still might be something wow. that they do, but that that was that was changed once um that that, that administration took over uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that's wow. yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yep. Wow. So I just, I, I, I want to say two thousand. Yeah. Yep. So. So. I would imagine this disproportionality has been around for a long time. Um, and I am going to ask about, we talked about a little bit how the history of education kind of plays into this. And we're going to get, I want to get to that in a second. Uh, but I imagine, I, I, I don't, I don't think this disproportionality is a new thing no. um, by any means. So how in the past or, or even currently, you know, do folks respond to that information? Is it like, you know, do our folks sort of saying, you know, well, you know, that makes sense that black kids are getting in trouble more because they're blah, 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 because you know, mm-hmm. they're bad kids or they're inherently bad kids. It makes sense that indigenous kids are, are you know, are, you know, getting expelled all the time because, you know, all indigenous folks are alcoholics or whatever, you know, yeah. sort of generalizing statements that we kind of, hear a lot is that is that well i guess number one do people even ask the question uh and and it's just you know it it just is what it is or like what 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 are kind of what do folks say about that stuff it is what it is you know what i mean um and that there's i it's funny i was actually just thinking about this today like so i don't fit into you know what the stereotype of like a black immigrant woman is And like in my family, like we're, this is just who we are. Like our parents are Haitian, (laughs) you know what I mean? We, 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 we are Haitian American and like, that's that. But I think in terms of stereotypes, like I'm the exception, not the rule, but within my Mm. community, I'm the rule. Like this is, this is just, this is who you are, you know? So I I think that, um, the, this idea of stereotypes are, are old and but they're they're persistent, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. what what you get is it is what it is. They're just like that, you know what I mean. Yes. And and I think what makes it even more challenging as a behavior analyst, like when I do bring up strategies and interventions and those kind of things, it's kind of like, what's the point? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like trying like the the feedback. You're not going like, to change anything. Yeah, it's yeah. like trying to get a a a, a cat to bark. <laughs> instead of meow it's like this, this is their nature yeah. <laughs> just let them meow anyway you know what i yeah. mean so yeah. I, I i find myself getting very very frustrated um mm-hmm. often but yeah but i think that that's kind of the consensus of like it, it is what it is mm-hmm. and so why is it what it is i think it goes back to some of this goes back to some of the history here absolutely i, I wonder if it if you can kind of walk us through a bit of kind of what, you know, the history of education looks like, at least, at least, at least in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So um, if you think about, so sometimes when you hear about diversity, equity, inclusion, the word access is also part of that. And um, mm-hmm. even so back then, and even now when we talk about who, like who had access to discipline, 
and who has access to um, gifted and talented programs in higher education. And like it all, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on education, but you yep. can say this about housing loans <laughs> so much in this country. Sure. Um, so, so real quick, you know, it's 1619, the first recorded, you know, African slaves arrived at the British colony of Virginia. Um, mm. So there was a law actually established by Virginia's legislature to keep blacks from establishing schools. So that, um, so now like this is probably 60 years later and there's, there's like school and, and it's illegal for, for slaves to read, you know? Um, so, mm. and you know, we all know education is power. Like imagine like not being able to read or having to hide mm -hmm. that you can read. So they, it came to the point, I guess so many schools were getting established that they, um, that there was a legislator, legislature like banning it basically. Um, Couple of years later, in Maryland, they started imposing fines on teachers who were teaching black students. Um, and then, in by 1740, South Carolina actually made it illegal to teach enslaved people. Like, period. Um, so you can see that, like, as to me, like, wow. as as it gets worse, like, as more slaves are are coming over, as more of them yeah. are trying to educate themselves, there's more legislature against that. Um, Andrew Jackson actually like passed a resolution about how dangerous it would be to educate blacks, especially black girls, and how it would damage, like, um, because it's 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 their personal property, so it would be very damaging, you know, to their mental condition. Their property. And, yeah. They're an inferior race, and then they, they'll never be recognized as having equal rights. So this kind of just kind of instilling wow. that. Um, so now we know that by 1865, slavery is abolished in this country. So it's 1870, um, and there's about, this is a rough estimate, 9,000 teachers, 200,000 black children. <laughs> um, and only about one in five black children have access to, to a school. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. During the Jim Crow era, we have segregation. And then, um, right. you know, Prince versus Ferguson establishes separate but equal. So this kind of like, this, in all honesty, just reinforced Jim Crow because there wasn't much desegregation in schools. And even now, if we look at, um, it's so hard for me to just talk about one topic, but when you look at the map mm. of the US and where there was redlining, redlining is when there was literally specific areas that um, black and brown marginalized people just weren't allowed to um, buy homes in, that we still have mm. schools that are still very segregated, schools that are mostly white and schools that are mostly Whoa. black, like that, um, that segregation is still happening. Um, yeah. There was a monumental case in 1926, Gong Lung versus Rice. The Mississippi Board of Ed um, basically like had classified a student who was Chinese as colored and barred her from attending a white school. And they won. And they, they said that the 14th Amendment was not violated. Um, by 54, we have Brown versus Topeka education. Um, it said that segregation was unconstitutional. But desegregation wasn't was not speedy, was not deliberate, and like I said, um, like there's still a lot of communities where they're just as segregated as they were, <laughs> you know, like in Reagan's administration. Um, mm -hmm. In the '80s, mm -hmm. we have um, a report that came out, "A Nation at Risk," because um, we have like America's education systems failing, um, we have poverty, we have inequality, we have racial discrimination, and like. Just, you know, when, when, when you look at 
where we are in terms of of resources and and our our GDP. Like it's not comparable to other com- uh, countries with the same GDP. Um, and their education. <laughs> like we're not in the top 10 for like STEM and math and things like that. Um, 2001, we have no child left behind that was passed. And then since then other like educational and cultural reforms were made. But um, you can see how schools were not established. Schools were only established for like white boys. You know what I mean? And like yeah. who does well, who has most access to it? Who's going to these Ivy League schools, you know? And even when there were um, these like reform schools that indigenous people were were going, it was to help them like assimilate to like mainstream like America. Uh, you know, it, it had nothing yeah. to do. So when when non you know European descendants were allowed to go to school, it was reformation not, and assimilation, not education. So you can kind of still see the feel, hear, live the residual effects of all that. I think um, I know that um, the same people who just believe it's a stereotype, it is what it is, want the light switch effect. You know what I mean? That like, no, like it's slavery is over. Like all of this should have ended already. And you're right. It should have. It has not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and that light switch effect is a good, it's a good, good good description because you because you're because you're right anyone sort of will say well that was in the past and everyone has access now there shouldn't be a problem anymore so therefore it goes back to the other other answer that there's just something wrong with that group yes right? yes yes and and i think that um as because you you hear these tropes as as a child and i i remember like and because sometimes i get frustrated like when People within my community feel the same way, but I, I had to step back and mm-hmm. think about it because growing up, that was the message that that yep. we got. And I remember when, when especially when you're raised by immigrants, you hear you have to be better because you're black. Like you can't like because if if you yep. make a mistake, it's not because you made an error because yep. you're human. It's because you know, look, look, see, they're 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 at it again. See, they they can't they just can't succeed. You know what I mean? They should have never yep. been given any rights. <laughs> so it's that 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 work twice as hard. But then. When I like the the older I got and the the more history that I learned, um, in in terms of like generational wealth and like how so many people in this country whose grandparents were able to buy a house for like three thousand dollars or something, <laughs> you know, like yeah. being able to own property, um, and and the difference that, that makes that in this current generation that that house has you know, tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold in price was handed down. And that helped pave mm-hmm. the way for like just more home ownership and how th- there are still so many people in my family who don't own a home or were, were finally just first time homeowners now. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. relative to like our white counterparts, one, 200 years behind. You know what I mean? Um, so when, when we're talking about like this is just how they are, this is just how the system is. You know? Exactly. No, and I think, and, and, and that's. Yeah, it's crap. It's uh, <laughs> it's 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 uh, because I think a lot a lot of folks will, you know, will, will look at this and go, it's. Oh, I lost my train of thought here, but.
folks don't don't folks don't get that that uh, I, I, I think that the housing example is a great mm-hmm. example uh, 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 of of me as a white uh, a white guy and my great 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 now granted my history doesn't go that far back in North America but say it did my great 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 grandpa you know bought the land in you know whatever town for you know ten bucks and and you know pass it down generation to generation to generation to generation and so now you know we you know we have that privileged access to you know stuff that for for you know centuries a lot of these other groups didn't have access to and i think folks struggle with grasping how history plays such a Mm -hmm. massive role in where we are now it's not just we got to learn from our history it's not just we got to stop making the mistakes of the past it's that the decisions of the past are still in place absolutely you know are are still written in law are still yes you know (laughs) i I think the idea of systems is is too big i think for some Mm -hmm. people's heads too that they can't wrap their mind around sort of racism and and so these broad isms in the world but that's what it is i mean the the whole world was built the whole western world was built on white supremacy yes um and (laughs) And like they and and and, and there's such a fight to not say that like how critical race theory is to be banned and you know michelle obama just wrote a book that they're banning in schools and it's like about her and her life i think like (laughs) but but the argument was like it's gonna make white kids feel bad i'm like so because michelle obama did well for herself I'm sorry that yourself, then you do good too. Like how, like that, that's not the point. Like, I don't think ever once she's saying like, I'm better than you because I'm black. No. <laughs> but, but that, that, that book is, is, has been banned in, in, in many places, in many schools. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know the story and, and, and I don't know if you do, but there were, there were, I just read in the news the other day about, uh, uh, you know, there's been banning lots of books in Texas lately mm-hmm. and, uh, and and this one school banned a book by the guy whom the school was named after, <laughs> and he was a black guy. I should have laughed. Um, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, oh. yeah, no, it was it was it was hilarious. I mean, in in an awful way. Like, you know, I think his I think his name might actually have been George as well, and it was George something school, and he wrote a book, and that book is banned at that school. It was just ridiculous. Um, so, so we know that uh, we've got you know this disproportionality in 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 our school systems. Um, is this uh, well, one question you know before we kind of get into kind of what we can do about it, uh, is this something that sort of builds over time or, or does, does this go right all, like does this just like a high school issue or is this a or is this go all the way back to like like kindergarten preschool like are we seeing disproportionality in like four-year-olds in class in, in like playrooms and daycares and that sort of thing you know what I mean? i'm happy you ask <laughs> the answer is yes um it starts as early as as preschool like i said that the, the stats i have are from a couple years ago because you know, yep, the, yep. the Office of Civil Rights is no longer publishing them. But yeah, but um, yep. there was, um, in, the, in the U.S., like 
forty percent of preschoolers were are uh, at like at the time that this was published. Like forty percent mm-hmm. are white. Um, about thirty percent were like Hispanic, Latin. Um, sure. Sorry, I'm looking at the screen. Like eighteen percent are black, and one to two percent Asian and um, Indigenous people were like enrolled in public preschool programs. Yeah. Um, but 40%, so 13%, 18% is um, black, dub, more than double that are the black kids who are getting out-of-school suspensions and one out-of-school suspension or multiple out-of-school suspensions. And then um, 43% of the kids were white and about 20% of them um, are, getting, are getting suspended. Right. And again, the the sort of ignorant, quick approach to this is goes well. You proved my point. Yeah. See, even I told four, you. Even even four year old black kids are problematic, and they're always going to be, and that's the way it is. What What do you think the reason is, though, that that we're seeing that at, at such a young age? Is it does it just basically go back to this systemic piece that we've been talking about for the last half an hour, and that it's just it's just it's just the the you know the the, the like our teachers, our teachers, like what's like, what's happening? The second secret word is racial. R-A-C-I-A-L. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think so. I, I think one of the things that's happening is like, who are the educators? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think the educators who don't look like these black little boys and black little girls yeah. um, are kind of throwing their hands up. Like, I don't know what else to do call their mom, call yeah. their dad. Um, and mm. I think that there's more empathy. Um, like you, you understand there's an affinity bias. You know what I mean? That like you kind of, yep. you you like more people who you identify with. So like imagine you're a daycare, you know, um, teacher and the mm-hmm. the white kid's mom is also a daycare teacher. You feel connected mm-hmm. to her. You know what I mean? And you're going to, sure. you're going to be a little bit more empathetic. You're going to get it down on the little four-year-old's level, little three-year-old's level. Mm-hmm. You're going to talk to them. You know what I mean? You're going to, um, you're yeah. going to, Oh, I want to write mommy a good note. Okay. Let's, let's, and then you're going to, you're going to try to work at it a little harder. And th- this is my opinion. Sure. I haven't been to every, <laughs> every preschool, every daycare in America, but I think that that's what's happening. It's that like you're, you're the, the fuse is a bit shorter. Um, and also because this is expected, like I expected mm-hmm. the black kid to be disruptive and see, I told you he's being disruptive. So there's less of an opportunity to like give him a chance. And then, like, like, why would the white kid be disruptive? There must be something wrong. Let's let's try to work on it and figure it out. Let's mm-hmm. call the parent, not to bring them in, but to get input from them. What works at home? What doesn't work at home? You know what I mean? That that cultural piece mm-hmm. is it happening? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, who mm-hmm. who who, I totally don't who get who's it. like who's the who's the matriarch patriarch in those families? You know what I mean? Like, right. am I reaching out to them to get some good input for like you know help yep. help me understand your child? I don't know if that extra step is going there. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're just talking to the person at pickup, you know what I mean? But is that, is that the the main staple in that child's life? Are you doing that research? Mm -hmm. And for, Mm -hmm. uh, again, this is my assumption for the white kid you are for the white kid, like the nanny comes to get them, but I'm going to call mom, you know, but, and I'm going to do it during the day because I know that she's a nurse and works overnight or something like that, you know? And I don't know if you're necessarily doing that when you already expect the black kid to be bad. (laughs) <laughs> like, like this isn't news yeah. <laughs> why no, do I have to sure. call anybody I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I'm the teacher I'm just more comfortable with my culture because mm-hmm. I know it I understand it uh, I'm connected to it 
Um, you know, uh, my, my teacher training certainly didn't tell me to, you know, try to, to teach me about other cultures and try to, try to teach me to connect to those things. Um, you know, I'm going to have that assumption, that bias that, like you said, that the black kids are generally just going to be tough anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, no matter what I do. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, easier for me to just put the effort in and, uh, and, and try to make things better for the white kids. Cause I know for them, I can do something, but I, you know, but, but I've been taught that I can't do anything mm-hmm. for the black kids. So why, why, why even, why even try? So we've got, we do have a bit of a system in place already that kind of, you know, in, in, from our science that can kind of help with, uh, you know, a lot of these issues, suspensions, disciplines, seclusion, restraints, all those sorts of you know, uh, office referrals and so on and so forth. And that's this, that's PBIS and it's, it's huge. PBIS mm-hmm. has had, you know, positive behavior intervention supports, um, has had a ton of research with like, thousands of schools and thousands of kids. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the, it's, it's really the sort of, you know, um, um, uh, pinnacle of kind of implementation science and around, you know, prevention. And we've seen some really, you know, amazing outcomes, kind of reducing a lot of these things through, you know, the the multi-tiered system of support, mm-hmm. you know, tier one strategies, universal for everybody, tier two for some folks, um, and tier three that are kind of more intent, individualized and targeted. Um, is, 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 is that all we need? Is PB, can PBIS kind of solve these problems? Yes and no. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. in terms of like, like, no, because it doesn't automatically resolve the issue. Um, but it can mm-hmm. help to identify it and use um, your direct measures. So just seeing it and indirect measures, your teacher surveys, your disciplinary records, your social validity yep. to, to, to find out if there is one. Um, but because yeah. like PBIS actually like examined itself and, and realized it wasn't the be all and the end all. So there's like a culture responsive PBIS and that involves collaborating mm. with the family, with the community, monitoring disproportionality mm. specifically for discipline, professional development, mm. um, and like awareness of different cultures between the staff and the students. One of my favorites of, of culture responsive PBIS is like they, so they have like, you know, they're integrity checks and assessments and whatnot. So one of the checks for this, there's student checks and teacher checks. So with the student, like if I was an assessor, not, not in front of like the, the board where it's written, I would just ask them like, Hey, what are, um, what are your classroom rules? You know what I mean? And if like, I'm going to see like, are they just reading it down or do they know, like, you know, I have to stay in my seat, whatever the case is. And then I'm like, all right, what happens if you follow the rules? To see, can they tell me, oh, you know what? Every time our class gets 10 points, you know, we get 10 minutes of free time. Or again, are they just like, I don't know, sometimes we get to play. So like, I, I like mm-hmm. that kind of like, are they able to explain the system? And then mm-hmm. the same thing with the teachers is like, when was the last time you mentioned the rules? And, and like, just just said it, <laughs> pointed it out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> reminded the class, like, what was the last time that you were just like, hey, everyone, remember, raise your hands to get attention. Or yeah. um, when was the last time they had access to a reward? And, and I, I like mm-hmm. how sim- it, it could seem so simple, but how much information mm-hmm. can you yield just from that quick interview with a student and a quick interview with the, um, with the teacher? Um, and they also mm-hmm. came up with, diff- PBIS has different resources. They have like... Um, field guides for trainers and coaches, 
they have it's called yep. education not incarceration where mm. trying to like undo this this school to prison pipeline and what i was talking about mm. is they have a um a tiered fidelity inventory so those kind of questions yep. that i was asking are coming from that um and if mm. that's still not enough like you know there's behavior analysis has a you know social skills training um, you know, we always think of that with specifically with students with autism, but um, there's evidence that it could help with behaviors for students who have uh, behavioral disorders um, to really like facilitate positive interactions um, and like just be, you know, by ensuring that the materials are like culturally relevant, it could really help mm -hmm. um, Im improve problem behavior. And then, you know, going back to our basics with like our antecedent and our preventative strategies, and then also work in restorative justice also does help um, to have mm. restorative practices as an alternative to school suspensions. Mm. I know that was a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah, well, there's probably a lot more. So you mentioned culturally responsive PBIS as being kind of a, a new thing. Is it? I, hmm. So it's, relative to it, PBIS, it's newer, I should say. It's not like, I don't want anyone to think like it just came out like in 2021. I think um, no. it just, in, in terms of like all of these resources, that's one of the yeah. newer resources that was, that was developed. Um, and there's culture responsive education, there's culture responsive behavior management. Like I think behavior analysts are a little bit late to the game. Like we just yeah. <laughs> like we just included that in our um <laughs> in our code to have a you know cultural responsiveness but we're here now you know um but yeah are we are we seeing that across the board though i guess that's my question like in pbis like is is pbis now culturally responsive or are there some schools that are doing this and some that aren't like is it sort of ex expected of pbis because i know pbis has this whole it's so big and mm -hmm. it's got, you know, there's that large uh, um, 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 technical assistance center website. Mm -hmm. They have pbis.org and, and uh, you know, that seems to be sort of the main sort of repository for resources for folks doing that sort of thing. Um, but I don't remember the last time I went to that website. And maybe if I go there, I'll, I'll see something different. But um, is this just a thing that, you know, some folks are doing? That's a great question. Um, I believe so. Cause um, the, the schools mm. I consult to, um, most of them follow this kind of model. And it, 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 from my perspective, it hasn't changed from like when I was in school and I was learning about it. Like yeah. it, it seems the same. I think that um, your progressive staff members in leadership, um, mm -hmm. they're, they're keeping up. Um, but I, I yeah. think the average person, um, and, and I think that's why yeah. like I, Thank you for kind of checking me using the word new. <laughs> like it, it's not yeah. as if it's new, but like it's 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 still new to some people. That's a better way to put yeah. it. So yeah, I, I think that it's um a lot of people are just doing PBIS the same way they always did. There's um there's a prize that the teacher picks, and then um yeah. you know for for engaging in X Y and Z behavior, you get a prize. If you don't, you don't. And so one of the yeah. things that is I, I, as people are listening. Um, one of the takeaways I took from like what evolved from more like a culture responsive PBIS is the operational definitions with behavior analysts are like, oh, we know what that is. But the, mm. the, the, the biggest mistakes that you see is disobedient, disruptive, disrespectful, um, because those are so subjective. You know what I mean? How many times mm -hmm. like 
-hmm. like schools that have um, dress code or uniforms, for example, being out of compliance, not having your shirt tucked in is seen as disrespectful to some people. You know what I mean? But on the, on the grand scheme of things, like if someone's shirt isn't tucked in, like, are they really like, (laughs) are they coming at you specifically? (laughs) Um, So really looking at the, um, I believe that's on that tier fidelity checklist I was talking about. Um, Mm. looking at how you're wording it and really moving away from, you know, disrespect, disobedient, disruptive, because, um, you know, sometimes that kid who's like crinkling a paper or humming to themselves is so disruptive, but it's disruption is really a measure of the other, the other students in the class, you know, because I've I've worked with students who they're used to their one peer who gets rowdy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as loud as they're being, they're not technically disruptive because he's not interrupting anyone from learning. <laughs> so that it, those are such subjective measures. And I, the, the traditional PBIS, that's all you see. You know what I mean? I will not be disruptive. Mm-hmm. I will not be disobedient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> yep. I will not be disrespectful. I'll be respectful. Yeah. And means, it's like, yeah. what, is, what, is, what does that mean? Um, and even yeah. the obediency is that um, there are so many learners who like aren't doing it right away. Um, aren't doing it unless they have some help, aren't doing it in a certain order. You know what I mean? Like it already, like yeah. that's not being obedient. But I, yeah. I I always say that like if it's not something that they can do independently, like we we can't mark that. Like it's it's not compliance. It's right. like it's like me asking you to write your name with no paper and no pencil. Like I can't now mark you as being like disobedient. Like, like you didn't actually mm-hmm. have any resources <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to engage yeah, yeah. in the expected response. Um, so I, I think that's like the pieces that um, that cultural responsiveness looks to. And obviously the, the paper pencil one is a really um, yeah. deliberate example. But if you think about it with um, incorporating movement breaks. So like if, the, if, the, if your whole class was in library and now you want to go right to a whole group lesson where they're just sitting with their hands to themselves knowing that you have a high energy class or a young class or whatever the case is, like you didn't give them the resources to be able to sit Mm -hmm. still. Like you should like after back to back (laughs) long periods of sitting, incorporate some kind of a movement break, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I just, I just think, um, cause we, a lot of this goes back to, uh, you know, the history, the history that you laid out and, and which you know have created you know these implicit biases from generation to generation Mm -hmm. and the white folk and the teachers and whatnot and i would think you know a lot of these teachers might be really on board with the idea of pbis and pbs to sort of you know um, uh, you know put these things into place to sort of reduce these challenging behaviors in the schools but in the end they're still biased right they're still they're still you know they still have these kind of you know uh, racist thoughts or whatnot and um um, um, you know, I don't know the culturally responsive PBIS is going to address that problem. You know, I mean, I mean, like you said, it's, it's those progressive teachers, probably younger teachers, probably folks that are, you know, you know, a little more, you know, um, you know, have, have a lot less of a learning history of being in the school systems or whatever, you know, that are going to push this stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't let me data on this. I'm just making assumptions here right, myself, right. I guess, but, but I just, you know, you've got that 20 year teacher who's always thought, you know, you know, black, black and brown kids are problematic, you know, is, are, are these systems like, is there, is there a component, I guess maybe that's a better question instead of just sort of um, uh, going 
glass half empty the whole way here, but is there is there a part of culture response of PBIS that that uh, is working to shift the mindset of these of teachers like this? I don't know if it's necessarily to shift their mindset, but mm. to to promote equity in education. Like, is mm. are you being fair? You know what I mean? Right. Um, like, are you including? Like, are you are you hearing all the family voices or just some? You know what I mean? Because we're, yeah. we're you know we're speaking specifically about the behavior analytic components of it, but it's other yeah, things. It's that. Um, are there are there more than one ways to get a right answer? You know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of schools are are changing this so that like, do you have to sit to yeah. do your work? You know, there's like standing desks available now. You know what I mean? Um, is right. there a map in your classroom <laughs> of, right. of more than just the U.S.? <laughs> right. You know, are there are there um, just like how multicultural is your class? You know what I mean? If you have pictures yeah. up, you know, are, is it all just like? Um, white people between the ages of 25 and 30. <laughs> like, is there anybody, yeah. a picture of anybody over 40 um, yeah. in your class? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so representation is a big deal too. So I think that like, it's um, not necessarily to shift their mindset, but just to, to to use the resources that are available to be a current teacher. And I think so yeah, yeah. I'm not that I'm giving grace, but some something that I'm always cognizant of is with, with some people who are having, who are more resistant some of them went to schools that were segregated, yep. you know? So like I, 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 uh, I look for, um, small changes. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, I know that you're no, not, you're not just going to wake fair. up and yeah. be like, you know what? Like, let's, let's treat everybody fairly. Because like when, when you mm-hmm. were first going to school, like black kids just weren't allowed to be there with you. You know what I mean? So like you, you, like yeah. your first experience with like a five-year-old black kid was as a teacher in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. Like you didn't even play with them. <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when, when you were, uh, when you were in kindergarten. So I think, uh, you know, go, you're right. I, I guess I do go back to the history a lot. And that's what I think about. It's like, wow, like either, either you went mm. to school during that time or you had a parent who did, yeah. you know what I mean? So imagine your parent, totally. the whole time they were in schools, it was segregated. Yeah. And here you are, like, and now you're asking to have a certain friend over or to go somewhere like, how is that parent responding to you? Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so um, mm-hmm. I'm totally I like that point. I, th- I think, you know, I mean, it's it's not necessarily about, you know, I mean, the, the mindset shift might be a sort of hopefully a, a positive side effect yeah. of all of this, um, because, you know, I think we're lear- we're learning. We, we know from, you know, a lot of the stuff that's coming out now that, you know, shifting bias is 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 tough mm-hmm. is tough to do but if you have a a document like this like the like a culture responsive tiered fidelity inventory that says you know you got to have these things in your classroom um and, and a principle that's you know you know making sure that happens mm-hmm. um then 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 it doesn't matter sort of what the teacher's thinking you know it it, it, it you know i mean what what they're sort of what's ingrained in their brain you know um, you know, if they've got, you know, those culturally adapted materials and, and the right things on the wall and, you know, and, and they're responding to all the kids, you know, equally or whatever, you know, if, if we can shift their actions through these sorts of, you know, fidelity measures and, and check-ins and, and that sort of thing, you know, maybe, 
maybe down the road that'll sort of shift okay. some other things for them. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my last question on the, that I wrote down here was kind of what can behavior analysts do about all this? But I think we've kind of talked about a lot of that. Already. I can, I could, um, like recap. Yeah. Um, so take sure. data, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And, 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 and I always put a disclaimer, no vigilantes. Like if you do uncover some um disproportionality like it's <laughs> yep. you don't have to be the vigilante you know what i mean like we can um the yep. same way that you uncover other problem behavior like kind of use that same process to 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 yep. address it because it's going to be difficult for someone to hear that they're doing that especially like mm -hmm. in a school setting where we're saying you're doing this to children you know yep. um so definitely um co collect that data um and then making sure that the system and, you know, we didn't talk about specific systems, just the broader ones, but like, yeah, is yeah. it culturally appropriate? So like um, and that that goes along with the the reinforcer assessments, too. You know, I think we do mm -hmm. a much better job with age. You know what I mean? Like and, and when mm -hmm. we're thinking about what's a good group reward for a preschool versus what's a good group reward for a high school. Yeah. I think we kind of we kind of shift that and we look at like. What do those kids at that age need? What do they value? You know what I mean? And little mm -hmm, kids, mm -hmm. they they need and value that they, they value kind of being rambunctious and having high energy. Yep. What do they need is appropriate ways to engage in high energy activities. Yep. All right, brain break. There it is. Older students, you know, your your teens, what do what do what do they need? Um, just good models for how to, especially in the age of social media, how to communicate and interact mm -hmm. with each other. Um, what do they value? Time with friends. All right. So that we have some social opportunities, you know what I mean? So like maybe they mm -hmm. can let the, the last five minutes of class, like we can, we can, um, during your independent work, we're all going to pick some, the top three performers will pick what songs that we listen to, you know, as a class mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And then yeah, they yeah. can talk about music and share ideas. So we do a much better gotcha. job when it comes to like that. <laughs> but what right. about, um, you know, I, I even need to do this more. But, but yeah, but, and then also like making sure that behavior analysts are keeping up with like cultural responsive training. And then when you're implementing your plan, mm -hmm. is it culturally appropriate? You know, is it something that, um, you know, are you, are you listening to the community? You know what I mean? Um, are, are you, are you really getting feedback from, from the teachers? Are you getting feedback from the students themselves? Mm. And that feedback can even be in the data that you collect. Yep. And one of the things that like, I, I know for myself, I need to do better is like those component analyses and looking at like which component was the most effective. And then also just um, preferences and treatment too. You know what I mean? Um, I read a, a really cool article about um, yep. cell phone usage in the class. And um, they just did like four different contingencies, like you know, to try to help reduce the the use of of cell phones only like at certain times. And what was cool oh, was okay, at the good. end yeah, for yeah. the social validity piece, they had the yeah. the students say which one they liked the yes. most and which one they liked the least. That choice, you know. And, and I and I was I was like I was like we keep forgetting. I know I like I I don't do that enough. Like I want that to be part of like a, a regular practice. But yeah, but like. If, yeah, yeah. Um, but if, if you're doing a social skills group, for example, yeah. um, you know, what, or, or anything, like, 
you know, are you reflecting the students, the students' experience and backgrounds? Are you making the criteria achievable? Looking at that differential reinforcement right. piece, because like, is what you're doing continuing to um, align with the, you know, systems of oppression that already exist? You know, like I was in a classroom today and one little guy was having such a hard time. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, mm -hmm. ideally it fits in nicely to earn at the end of the day, at the end of this transition, you know, when, when the aide comes back from lunch where there's someone who's available, but you know, is, is what's driving your choices, yep. you know what I mean? And then sometimes it's not on purpose. Sometimes if what drives your choice yeah. is the schedule availability and those kind of things, it, it's logical. It makes sense. But sometimes we don't realize that how that impacts marginalized people, you know, so it's not that um, nothing can be done, but like, it's just be, be mindful of that piece. And whenever I, I, I do this talk, especially to behavior yeah. analysts about cultural responsiveness, yeah. it's not that's another right. dimension right. of ABA. Right. Yeah. I think that's where everyone's struggling. <laughs> it's kind of like they want it on the list. Like, you know, is it, is it systematic? Is it conceptual? Is it culturally responsive? But it gets, it's, <laughs> but is it is like does it does it fit and make sense for this situation um and and a good a good measure for that check is um take yourself out of it what what would it look like if you weren't here like how artificial is this you you, you, yeah. you know what yeah. i mean um and 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 if it if it's requiring a lot of supports and resources on your end then you're not tapping in and what that's what i mean by the community you're not using enough of of what's there you, you, you know, like it, it, too much of it's artificial. And again, sometimes that um, who it, who that affects the most are individuals from those marginalized communities. Okay, you made a lot of really good points there and a lot of really good sort of things to watch out for. Are, are there like the questions you're asking, I think are so perfect. Are there any like tools out there that kind of have some of these questions or, or things to look for embedded? Obviously, you can't say, you know, here, here's an assessment on whether this is going to be good for family A, because as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, the, mm -hmm. you know, the culture varies from context to context, from family to family. It's not by no means is it sort of ethnicity specific or anything like that. So is, is there sort of a general kind of, you know, is, is, is there something I can, I can, I can go back and look at and go, did, did I ask all those questions? Did I, did I, did I look at those pieces? I yeah, so I, I want to go back to that that the cultural responsive tiered fidelity oh, right. inventory, yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, there's it, it lists it through like behavioral expectations, um, teaching expectations. There's also um, definitions of problem behaviors, discipline policy, professional development, discipline data, and um, data-based decision making. Mm. So it sounds very like aligned yep. to our field, but making sure like, um, is this is this happening? You know what I mean? So looking at that data-based decision. So like, did some, like as you're like, when you're doing a functional behavior yep. assessment, for example, um, are you doing a record review to look at the disciplinary measures and what they're getting expelled and suspended mm. for? I, I make that a big part <laughs> of mine. And sometimes what I look at is, Sometimes the same infraction, but two different students, and they're being treated differently. That's something that I bring up to administration. You know what I mean? And I always, I always push for um, alternatives to suspension mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but that's uh, that's definitely a, a good resource that's to cool. use in terms of in our field, because I know that a lot of people are, aren't ready necessarily to. Uh, <laughs> 
necessarily ready to, um, to, to venture off is that there's, um, I don't have them in front of me, but a couple of, uh, journal articles have like decision trees on whether or not, um, um, to work with a a client from a diverse background. So that's definitely something to look at because maybe you're thinking, yeah, um, Let's see if I can. We'll see if we can. Yeah, we'll see if we can find those quickly, yeah. so I can add yeah. it to the to the Absolutely, show notes. Yeah. But um, that's a definitely a, a good one um to look at because it's a nice um decision yeah. tree, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um and 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 it just asks like you know is is the student is the individual's culture different than mine you know um and it kind of gives you because it's a decision tree what you should do like is should you just proceed with a culturally responsive treatment, or is this something that you might need some more education mm-hmm. on before working? Or should you just defer to somebody else because you're not well-equipped yeah, enough yeah, 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 um, yeah. to work to, to work with a, a particular learner or a particular situation? And it's not good or bad. Like, like the way I said that, um, I kind of got here because I made sure I didn't stop learning. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't work with a family who practiced a certain religion or emigrated for a certain part of the world and was like, you know what? It's going to be too difficult for me. Um, I was honest with them. And, you know, and I said, I've never worked with, um, with, with, with a family who, who, who celebrated this holiday. Tell me about it, you know, and then, and then I can look to see how I can incorporate it. I think sometimes behavior analysts like forget that we have so many tools and resources, but I think it's the creativity piece that we're missing. You know, I, I've done gross motor imitation, teaching kids how to pray, you know what I mean? So like the sign of the cross, for example, that's GMI, kneeling, bowing, that's gross motor yep. imitation. <laughs> so as I'm going through the sets, like that's something that I'll, I'll be sure that's to include cool. because the, the social validity piece is there because now when they're in the community and everyone else is bowing, they're looking around like, I, oh I shoot. I don't do this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then how grateful that, you know, I just want to make it come back yeah. full circle how grateful that family is. And now they're reinforcing yep. the child, you know what I mean? Because yep. they're engaging in a behavior that the, that the whole family yep. values and the social validity piece is there because the community That's notices right. the difference, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to circle this back to the poster again. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm, you know, you did ask something else. So this actually doesn't come from okay. our field. Um, but like, if you just Google like questions to ask a client with a diverse background, oh wow, okay. <laughs> um, like these ten questions come up, and I I encourage people to like add them to their intake mm-hmm. forms, or um, if you do parent training, maybe each time you're starting a session, ask mm-hmm. one of these questions. The questions are kind of like, um, and, and sometimes I'll use them if I do cohorts. Like right now, I'm doing a um, uh, group supervision cohort for um, students getting their BCBA before each one, like as a little icebreaker, we, we, we do this exercise. Um, so questions like what language, what, what languages do you speak mm-hmm. at home versus at school versus in the community? Um, you know, do you speak this language with your family, with your friends, mm-hmm. with teachers? Um, you know, how long have you lived wherever they live now? How long have you lived here? What made you decide to live here? Um, what are household rules or expectations for the family? Um, I asked this, this question before, but like, how does your family celebrate birthdays, special traditions? How do they celebrate holidays, special meals? Um, you'll get so much valuable information 
on how to tailor the program. Like the way that I like to conceptualize it, we know what program, like we know the actual skill deficit that needs to be built. The family knows what sets to put on there. Like we know follows directions. The family knows what directions, you know, <laughs> what are the, what are the specific directions that'll, that, that'll help them acclimate and, and, um, and, and, and help membership in the family, you know what I mean? And, and, and for them to, 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 to want to participate and to enjoy participating with their family. Well, that's cool. Really cool. Um, I think that's a good, good, good place to kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, I think, right. uh, you know, we kind of got a, a, a bit of an idea of kind of what we can do and kind of what resources we can tap into. We'll see if we can find maybe some of those more specific articles and add in the show notes. Um, kind of two questions, I guess, to, to, to finish off. One, mm-hmm. one just kind of, uh, you know, what's kind of one message we might send to folks about all this that are listening? You know, one sort of, you know, it's a, there's, there's a lot more than one thing here, but, but. Yeah. I, I, I would say just, um, try to learn, um, like just try to get to know client and by client, like everybody, whoever you're servicing, the, um, the, their, their parents, stakeholders, colleagues, um, the best way that you can, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's all about relationship building and, you know, behavior analysts have a, a reputation <laughs> for not really working well with others. So whenever uh, there's like concerns about collaborating with related service providers or parent training or whatever the case, those areas that we don't really yep. do well at, um, I think it has to do with the relationship building totally. part. And like, I know that we want to take the data I know you want to get right to treatment, but like, this is a valuable component yeah. of it. It's not a waste Absolutely. of time. You know, t- taking the time out to, to figure this out is really going to lend itself to, to so yeah. much more. Um, I, I, I had a family and I found out that they, um, there was some kind of a, um, a festival where the, the kids, um, like they, they learn to dance and perform it. And she wanted her daughter to participate. Now, before that, I, on my end, like she'd been doing really nice with imitation. I wanted to introduce video hmm. modeling, but we know video modeling is such a, a broad sure. topic. Once the parents share that with me, I was like, done. <laughs> I was like, mom, we're going to record you doing the dance. Yeah. <laughs> and now we, we can, we can use video modeling. And what's cool about that is mo- mom saw how effective it was. So now when I'm suggesting it for teaching other skills, she's more likely to uh. comply. But when I was like, oh, you know, this, this, this behavior, this skill that's really difficult, brushing teeth or self-feeding or whatever is like the hardest part of your day, I know it'll make it easier. Open your laptop and make her watch a video of it. <laughs> the first time, like if I just said that yeah. out of nowhere, the parent would have been like, how is exactly. that going to help? When I have toothpaste dripping down yeah. my arm, <laughs> the baby's crying, she's crying, we're all late, <laughs> and you want me to find, and now the the, the Wi-Fi is being aggy, your video is not loading, like, <laughs> the, the, the value yeah. isn't there. But once I can incorporate it with already a, a skill that the family yes. values, they like, they're like, they're all yeah. on board with yeah. video modeling yeah. now, you know what I mean? So I think that, I think that sometimes behavior analysts, like, 
not that they don't want to, but then we also get concerned. Are we building a dual relationship? You know what I mean? Because I, I was always worried about that as well. Like, like, you know, do I, you know, I don't want to know about how they celebrate birthdays <laughs> <laughs> that we're going to get yeah. too close. We're yeah. going to be yeah. friends. Like, how do you draw that line? But, you know, you're, you're doing it as part of an assessment because you're mm-hmm. using that information um, to, 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 to build the program. So I think that that's yeah, no, I think that's so message. important, and 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 we've got to really be careful to not just make that dual relationship assumption. I mean, it's tricky when you have an ethics, you know. I mean, I, I get the point of dual relationships, and and there's there's definitely some some blatant violations there that are that are really bad, and and you know are and, you know would constitute malpractice on a lot of levels. But we're also, mm-hmm. I think that's one thing our field does lack. Um, we're getting a little better now and we're starting to see that the point of it is the importance of this relationship thing. Like, like I think for, and I don't, I know it's probably, and, 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 and I know it's probably similar in, 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 in the States with, you know, insurance and, and having to be so specific on what you're billing for and, and like, how do you build for bill for building a relationship with somebody? Right. You know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of a struggle for folks as well. Yeah. You know, we got to get in there. We got to collect data. We got to do this assessment. I said, I do this in three hours and, you know, six hours or whatever. And, but no, but I need to spend five and a half of those hours getting to know this person, you know, because there's no way they're mm-hmm. going to do any of this assessment with me, but how do I bill for that? And, you know, there's all these kinds of other questions and, and, um, and then, yeah, I don't want, I don't want them to, you know, I, I don't want to have a good relationship with this person because then all of a sudden it's going to be crossing a line, you know? Um, and I think, mm-hmm. I think we, I think that's been a mistake for us, our field and, you know, in that yes. we don't value relationships. You can have, you can have a really good relationship with someone professionally and still have really strong boundaries. Um, um, and I don't think, I, I, you know, I, I think folks need to kind of make that connection and not worry about it. Cause they're, yeah, you're right. They're, they're, and the relationship will just just makes everything so much easier too. You're all you're all stressed out about you're having your massive caseload and not being able to you know get things done and make things happen. But things are going to get done and happen if you, if you, if, you, if you build that rapport. Yeah. No. Right. Right. And that's what I was saying. I I never do it where it's like an interview where I just ask those questions, but I just make it a point that like you know what at this visit I'm going to yeah. ask this question this way. Like yeah. it's brief. You know, it, it's not. It's not going to munch. It's not going to eat too much of the five yeah. hours up yeah. <laughs> that you have to do assess, assessment X, Y, or Z. But it's it. It's going to totally, be worth it. Totally. I'm curious what's next for Meg. Uh, you uh, you you talk <laughs> in the very beginning. You said you know you're you're like a, a constant learner, constantly trying to get new knowledge. Obviously, in the summer you got this DEI certificate, which is a prime example of that. Uh, any any sort of. Uh, uh, other other big learning goals on the horizon besides just continue to learn, which, which is great. I mean, continuing to learn is great. The third secret word is background. Yeah, I don't. I I, I think the, the I have more like professional yeah. development goals. You know what I mean? Like I want to um like I was able to contribute a chapter to a cool. text. I want to keep doing that. Like, I just want to keep contributing to yeah. writing. Um, I I think what's hard being in the public sector is that, like, it doesn't lend itself to, to research because, like, you're not getting tight yeah. clinical trials because yeah. it's public, you know? Every, everyone, everyone's, yeah. everyone's around. But, like, I would definitely love to, to get into more yeah. research. And I think networking, yeah. too. Um, so, like, not they're, they're more professional goals than, yeah. like, learning ones. Um, there's I've, I've looked at the trauma-informed... Um, 
certificate mm. certification. Um, but I'm not sure if like the, it's it's not a big percentage of population that I work with. Um, so I, I want to do it, but I want to make sure that it's something that's yeah. that's valuable. You know, and there's a lot. There's a lot of different and, directions and you can some... go with the trauma informed one too. I, I worry about some of those yeah, sort of yeah. two day. You know, now I have five more letters after my name after listening to some guy talk for two days. You know, it's yeah, yeah. And and I um I volunteer for for children in foster oh. care. So to to be yeah, it's um it's um yeah, it's a judiciary volunteer actually. Like you get sworn in by the judge and and all that good stuff because like you get. You, you're able to review records and all those kind of things. Mm. Um, and that training was pretty extensive. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, and they offer, they, they offer their own like continuing That's education. Cool, yeah. They always have like yeah, webinars yeah, and other yeah. things going on. So I think I have a good background um, from that experience. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? That's right. We talked about um, that before. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really cool. Oh, doing so much, man. It's really great. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like yeah, to be busy. Absolutely. It's fun. Uh, before we before we go, I I, I did. Uh, can you tell what, what what's your mom's name? I'm gonna I'm gonna put in the show notes for this this book, New Day, New Life. Oh, her her new name. Heart, new life. Her name is Chris. Yeah, Christine. C H R I S E L I N E Bobrin. Ah, and then that's uh, well, I noticed I noticed that's your you've got that for your last name here. Is that your middle name? That's my ah, that's my middle name. Yeah. Very good. Right on. Cool. All right, well, we'll look for that book and share it with the folks. Really cool. Thanks for coming on the show, May. Super cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I will, um, of course, like I found the the resource I was yeah. talking about. Um, but I, I don't have the um, the article, the okay. journal article. We'll <laughs> like, right, usually that's what I do. I like put it right underneath. I'm like, really, man? So I got to We'll, we'll find it. it we'll you. put it in the show notes. <laughs> Good. All right. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you.